Yeah, hello everyone. Welcome to another ad hoc. We have a, um, a special uh, constellation here today because we, uh, for the first time, wanted to confront like two, well, opposing opinions or say like an opinion and some criticism um, uh, against it. Um, and we wanted to, uh, you know, introduce them or like um, get the the two um, uh, proponents basically together in a in the discussion. But unfortunately, um, Peter Bregin was one of them. Uh, he didn't want to uh, be involved in like a personal conversation or personal discussion. So we decided to give like um, Peter Bregin and uh, Matthias Desmet um, the opportunity to uh, basically bring forward their statements in like two separate um, uh, instance. So uh, we will, um, after this um, introduction, we'll show the, the statements of um, Peter Bregin, um, who's a psychiatrist from America. And after that, we'll um, have um, Professor uh, Matthias Desmet yeah, answering to the, the criticism that was brought forward or like two statements that Peter Bregin made. Hello, everyone. So this is another um, ad hoc that we're doing from the Corona Investigative Committee. And today we're talking to Peter Bregin. He's a very famous person, a psychiatrist. And um, it would be great if you could first give us a little bit of your um, professional background. Okay, well, I went to Harvard College and um, there I started as a freshman to volunteer in a mental hospital program. I went out to a state hospital and um, that was the first time I'd seen any kind of mental hospital. And that was a, a life changing and is very, very relevant to what I'm going to talk about today, which is the, the real danger of um, psychological or psychologizing conflict and of bringing in the psychologists and the psychiatrists, which is already happening in our movement. Um, I had um, first gotten my lesson on um, universal uh, crime when I was nine years old, and I saw unexpectedly the um, films coming back from the uh, liberation of the extermination camps. They just happened to play one before a family movie on movie tone news. And for the first time, I knew that Jews like myself were being murdered. And it was quite something to deal with. Then not long after, I was probably nine years old, my uncle Dutch came back and he had actually been in the liberation of the camp. Uh, and when I walked into the state mental hospital, it just instantly reminded me of my uncle Dutch's uh, descriptions of the extermination camp, the stench, the awful condition of the human beings, the indifference of the staff toward what was obviously human misery and loneliness and living under terrible conditions. <clears throat> and I got to lead the program for several years and we actually uh, got a, a lot of national attention and, uh, we were written up in a very a book about mental health that came out of NIMH. It was probably the last NIMH document in 1962 that looked at social aspects of psychiatry. 
looked at the psychological, social, whether it was uh, you know, poverty or how helpful volunteers could be. And they wrote up our program. That lasted for a few decades, but eventually psychiatry took the position you can't talk to schizophrenia. It's all drugs and completely succumbed to the drug industry. And that was, we couldn't have a program like that anymore in our hospitals where students were actually talking to patients and getting them out of the hospital. Um, so I became aware very early that there was a terribly dark side to psychology and psychiatry. Um, and that's been, you know, been a part of my thinking um, ever since. Um, probably the, the most dramatic example of that was with uh, the um, Holocaust. Very few people know that um, the extent to which psychiatry was involved in what became the planning for the Holocaust. And this is very important because we are going to be talking about the psychology of totalitarianism by Matisse Desmond. And one of his major points is that there's conspiracies are not powerful. They fail. They don't work. They don't exist. He has various attitudes on it. When he discusses the Holocaust, he says there were a few men who planned it, but uh, it really emanates from the people. The theory behind uh, the mass formation and, this, and the hypnosis, the mass hypnosis, is basically that it's self-induced. It's really a self-hypnosis. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But he really brushes by very much like Hannah Arendt, uh, whom he uh, deeply... Uh, this feels connected to brushes by uh, the inexorable planning that went on. Um, for example, he um, he talks about uh, a lot about the Jewish betrayal of Jews. He, he talks about self-betrayal of people who were in the masses. Spends a lot of time on um, on how there was a Jewish organization that helped the Nazis. Uh, trying to prove his point, not anti-Semitic, prove his point that it's the, it all emanates from the people. And he spends almost no time on Hitler as the master conspirator, organizer, controller, murdering his own people, his own soldiers when necessary, um, and so on. But even more dramatic, which he leaves out, is that the Holocaust planning was largely done by psychiatrists to begin with. And uh, in 1920, there was a, <clears throat> a book published by a, a lawyer and a psychiatrist, uh, Hoche, H-O-C-H-E, and Binding. And it was about the lives not worth living or useless eaters. And uh, I came to Germany with a friend of mine, um, who spoke German to give a talk on all of this, actually. Probably you don't know that. In the 1980s, I gave a talk at the first conference ever on, and maybe the only one, on medicine in the Third Reich. Um, and um, they invited me because I'd done some writing about it. And uh, maybe nobody in Germany wanted to get in trouble for talking about uh, the role of psychiatry because it was very hush-hush. You know, professionals don't do bad things like that. Um, and um, the 
Psychiatry uh, first started killing patients in the state mental hospitals. And the death rates in the hospitals at that time were probably 20, 30% per year anyway. They were so, treatment was so bad in the hospitals. And um, they, uh, it was kind of a hodgepodge. One hospital, Kafburen, did have a crematorium in it. But, and mostly they uh, poisoned people or let them starve. But then they got the idea, and this is before uh, Hitler ever acknowledged the program, which it starts as soon as Hitler takes over. Um, they decide they really need to organize themselves. And they developed about six uh, euthanasia murder centers, Sonnenstein, Hadamar, and a few others. And these killing centers, uh, you'd get sent to one after your local hospital sent a euthanasia form to Berlin, and then a group of Berlin psychiatrists would determine uh, if one of them said that uh, that you were a good candidate, you went. And uh, there were usually two psychiatrists who were making the judgment. And they used trains. They sent the trains to the centers. And in the euthanasia centers, they had uh, showers, fake showers, fake soap. And they used diesel engines from trucks to uh, murder the patients. And probably the program killed, nobody's sure, up to certainly 100,000 patients. At some point around uh, maybe 1940, Hitler was actually booed at a truck stop, probably at Kaffbjörn, by the families of the murdered patients. And as, as far as we know, the only time anybody ever in that way publicly stood up to Hitler. And he canceled the program and he um, converted one of the euthanasia centers, which had just been built and never used into an extermination camp. And um, the head of one of the euthanasia centers became the first commandant of an extermination camp in Poland. And initially they actually, in some cases, used the euthanasia forms in the first killings, but. After a while, it was clear they didn't have to medicalize it. They used doctors to, at times to say who went to death and who went to work. And, but uh, they didn't medicalize it very much after that. Um, at the doctor's trials, and you'll see why I'm, I'm getting at this, I hope. Um, at the doctor's trials, um, there were two doctors from Germany. Metterlink was one of them. They wrote a book about it, and they said that the Holocaust probably couldn't have happened without uh, the psychiatric program to show you could do bureaucratized murder and also how to do it because it was developed by the psychiatrists, including including literally the the fake showers. Um, these these camps um, they had a great turnover in the in the killing rate, so they didn't have built up concentration areas. They didn't have that many people to deal with. Um, and uh, our AMA representative, a man named Andrew Ivey, he confirmed that he thought too that without the planning, the conspiracy of the psychiatrists, you couldn't have had the murder program. And uh, so did um, our chief military psychiatrist, um, who was actually uh, a German. He spoke as uh, a native speaker of German who had fled to the US, um, probably because he had a Jewish relative. He was very sympathetic to the Nazis. And um, 
it's one of the reasons why we didn't get a lot of prosecutions on under the uh, of of the uh, sub, but not many of the psychiatrists. His name was Leo Alexander, and Alexander also said the same thing that the Holocaust was the entering wedge to all this. So what psychiatry does and what psychology does in the diagnosing of people is a critical issue for how uh, modern mass murder is conducted. Um, none of the other, um, um, the, well, the communists, the Russians, the communists in China and so on, they did not exactly adopt the that kind of bureaucratic murder program. <clears throat> although they killed many, many tens of millions more people. Um, but they did use psychiatry in Russia and it's still used in China. There's a new paper out on China that Ginger just found. They did, they always used psychiatry against the dissidents that they felt they couldn't otherwise um, uh, control. There was a dissident whose name I'm forgetting now who um, talked about being drugged with Haldol in the USSR and how it took away, uh, as the doses increased, that it took away his uh, uh, most recent memories. The first thing it took away was his political life and then his religious life. And eventually uh, he lost interest in his family and his life too. As a Haldol, these psychiatric drugs are uh, very lobotomizing. Um, in a way, with one dose of an antipsychotic drug, you accomplish what it took maybe a few days for the Nazis to, to do in an extermination camp where people become zombie-like. You can literally do it with one or two doses. You can control them. They still seem to have free will. They just listen to what you tell them. Now, the, <clears throat> the problems with, um, with Desmet's work <clears throat> excuse me, are twofold. Um, one, is he is bent on removing the idea that um, there are conspiracies, that there is planning. In other words, he's doing exactly the opposite and maybe partly aimed at the kind of at the book I we wrote, Ginger and I, uh, where we talk about COVID-19, COVID the global predators. Uh, we are the prey. It, uh, it takes away the notion that um, anybody was actually planning on the horrific outcomes in COVID-19. So what he says throughout his book uh, is that these uh, there were people who made big mistakes, but they were mistakes. They were policy failures. They were failures to reason things out. They, they were just ordinary people making mistakes, but the masses fixed on the worst ideas that they had. And the masses are really the origin of totalitarianism. When he gets to Hitler, for example, he says even Hitler was not this crazy-eyed killer. Hitler was also a victim of the mass formation, the great hypnosis. Now, hypnosis actually requires an authoritarian leader. You can hypnotize people if, if you have some authority and if you're good at it and you can do it one-on-one. -on -one. To do it in a group, the largest group that I know of that anybody ever hypnotized were the small groups that after World War II, they would 
they they would have a uh, an army uh, colonel or captain or whatever, and he would he would a medical man he would hypnotize groups of soldiers coming back, and they felt they could do it to some extent and help them relieve them of some of the trauma they'd been through. It never really panned out. It is very hard to hypnotize a group and, you know, really would take an army circumstances to do it. And you have to have people who are willing to submit themselves to control. <clears throat> there is no uh, precedent for, uh, for Desmond's contention that um, you hypnotize groups and then control them. That you actually get the group was. Uh, I'm sorry, Peter, how large was the largest group that they managed to hypnotize? Oh, I think they probably 10, 12 people, okay. something like that. Mm -hmm. Just a small group and, and one or two, maybe an assistant and the, and the doctor. Um, and there wasn't very deep hypnosis. Um, now, there is absolutely no science for anything that has to do with <clears throat> mass formation. And it is impossible to find any writing about it. And Desmond never wrote about it before. It was concocted for COVID-19, best as I can tell. Um, to, to, to contend with the concepts that I write about and uh, uh, officially published about the same time that uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. writes about in the real Anthony Fauci. <clears throat> the um, the model that he uses, Desmond uses mostly is Lepon, L-E space B-O-N, who was writing in about 1895, and he wrote about the madness of crowds. Um, it was good work. I mean, he did very, very interesting good work, but it has nothing to do with what happened during COVID-19 because crowds were outlawed. <laughs> there were no mobs. It is such a bizarre scientific error to make because there really is no science. Literally, the, the mobs are whipped up by leaders in Laban's work. And, um, and he's, he's interested in the susceptibility that people have in mobs when everybody's close together to actually give up their ordinary identities and to become lockstep violent people. Now, if you also think about it, in the United States and in Europe and in Canada, it was only until uh, after his book came out, I'm not connecting the two, but he, there was no evidence for violence. And that's not even what mass formation's about. It's about the sad case of why do people conform and believe the, these stupid things. And one of the reasons people like him is he is talking about the fact that <clears throat> there have been mistakes made by people in assessing the degree of threat and mistakes made by people in this or that way. But they were just this, uh, mistakes. It's the, it's the crowd that breeds the massive response to it. And, um, and apparently even breeds Hitler, even though he... Uh, now, the, the, one of the ways he tries to describe it 
is that it's the ideology that moves and the ideology the crowd is not innocent of the ideology it has it has the ideology um he doesn't discuss Mein Kampf and the writing of it and and Hitler's uh, being the purveyor of the ideology um I wrote in um I did a three-part and then published, uh, you can also get it as one-part critique of Desmet that we published on um, <clears throat> America Out Loud. Excuse me. <clears throat> Hang on a sec. Hey, Ginge, I get a glass of water, love. Thank you. We have two offices. They're not too far apart. Uh -huh. I'm uh, a little horse. Do you want a cough drop? Well, maybe a glass of water. Glass of water. Thanks, honey. I have cough drops over here. Um, at no point does Desmond want to admit that there is a, an, an, at least in the book, an elite uh, or a group of a political class or an organized relationship among various people. For example, <clears throat> I'm beginning more, I see the issues more and more as two empires trying to control us and eventually they're gonna vie with each other. One's the Eastern Empire, that's Xi Jinping and the Communist Chinese. They're building quite <clears throat> a massive uh, block of power. They're building um, these trade agreements in, in, uh, in Asia. Um, and they've got their belt and road around the world where they're making relationships with people. And then in the West, you have um, Bill Gates, who works very closely with Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum. Europeans know them well. Um, and um, Klaus Schwab, for example, has a, a hundred of the top firms in the world as a special, his most special partners. They give him, I forget how much, but I think each company, it's a very large amount. And they support him and they're working toward what they say, toward a better governance of what happens in the world. They don't want to give it a name, but it's a, a some sort of world governance they talk about. Um, and you can find it on the website. They're very proud of these hundred companies that support them. Um, the... Um, I wrote, well, I wrote this critique and I sort of uh, and almost made, made fun of him for not having a, um, for him using as models violent crowds when these were passive victims of totalitarianism. And that's what he doesn't want to look at. He didn't even want to see the Jews as overwhelmed. He wanted to see them as collaborating. He doesn't want to see that the totalitarians overwhelm, make people feel hopeless and helpless, and disperse them. They don't, they don't become crowds. They become lonely, isolated people under totalitarianism. That's a real characteristic. There are no crowds meeting usually under totalitarianism unless they're led by the totalitarians or under their control or everything's manageable. So he has it totally backward. <clears throat> in a sense, he's blaming passive, helpless people. 
he um, wants to, well, so I wrote about this and he wrote in Dutch a response. I don't know if you all have that. Um, Catherine Austin Fitz um, had it translated for me. He wrote the response to me in Dutch on a, his Belgium Facebook, but it got to me. And um, I, sh I should put that up. Uh, I will. And um, in it, he says, oh, you know, what he, what Dr. Bregman doesn't know is very cordial, is that um, that the modern totalitarianism, you know, what we see mostly is just, you know, people staying at home and responding to TV or something or to the outside influences. Um, well, that that's, of course, uh, everybody's written tons of books about it. He doesn't even discuss it in his book. He just makes this stuff up as he goes along, literally. There's one page where he talks about that there is a loneliness in, in the in the in the mass formation, but more interest, he's much more interested in its being paranoid, that it is blaming people who don't exist. Um, can, I, can I ask uh, some questions? Please. Yeah, I, I actually wouldn't appreciate since we're talking for a while. Yeah, so I was wondering because I always understood that, um, you know, I didn't understand that he was saying, uh, you know, that it's a mass hypnosis in the sense that you'd actually have someone, you know, saying go to sleep. I don't know. Maybe how could they do No, this? no, he's saying we self-hypnotize ourselves. Yeah, but what I always understood is that it's more this, um, basically, you know, if we look at these, the, the social media and what we can see on TV and, you know, this and the, the newspapers and all that and the statements. This book uh, is not about that. Yeah, but it's, um, I don't think that he, and actually, um, let me just maybe elaborate a little bit, maybe I, maybe I cannot, uh, you know, come oh, all right, I'll, I'll be quiet, as, let you talk, go ahead. As, as quickly to the point, because you've been thinking about these topics. Sure, you, go ahead, I'll be quiet for a while. Yeah, uh, because the thing is, like, also in, uh, when you look at the, the mass formation or whatever, like these propaganda methods that the Nazis used, they also could not um just approach the people that or indoctrinate the people that were standing like in a on a you know celebrating in a uh, in the center of town in a city because that was maybe like occasions but not every day they were doing this so it was also through this um volksempfänger wasn't that what the radio was called like you know this like uh, like the radio and the people's receiver and and you know statements from politicians then being uh, you know talked about in this so that was a, a certain atmosphere that was created that way so i th i also think it was not like just approaching like physical crowds i mean in obviously here you're right there like in the last two years it was hard to form a physical crowd because it was not really possible but like i think the methods like reaching people through these mass media um tools that must have been pretty much the same, like, you know, back then and now, maybe even more obviously more intensified through what you have on your uh, mobile, like close with you all the time, even, you know, it's this nightmarish, oh, mm -hmm. another uh, wave of, of Corona death and, and all these kinds. So, so mm -hmm. do you think it was really that, that, um, so I would, I would have understood the crowd that um, Desmond talked about more in a little bit more abstract way than just a physical crowd. Um, actually, Desmond is not as sophisticated as you or won't go where you're going, because where you're going is reason, common sense, history, fact, and reality. 
it is that totalitarians overcome the people, he won't go there. And so his book has almost nothing in it about that. I think he has one page where he talks somewhat about that. Um, he definitely uh, believes that there is no, that we, we can't even identify the elites. He, um, let me read you something he wrote to me in response. He wrote, indeed, I don't think the world is destroyed in the first place because of a great conspiracy. So he's very adamant about this and it's throughout the book. A society is destroyed in the first place because of certain ideology, a certain worldview of man and the world. And, and then there's a couple of other sentences and continuing, and the population indeed is not innocent of that. Elite and population are a reflection of each other, both defined by, and gripped by the same ideology. Seeing the population as a passive victim will not help the population. See that? Which of course is obvious. We try to act, we try to help the population not see themselves as helpless, but they're rendered helpless, and that's what they have to get out of. The solution to the impasse we are in is not to forcibly eliminate any elite. This is written to me. So now in the book, he acts like there is no elite. He puts it in quotes and, and calls them basically the so-called elite. Now he's admitting, this is a characteristic of his. Now he's admitting there is elite. But the solution to the impasse we are in is not to forcibly eliminate any elite. On the contrary, that is a recipe for self-destruction. This is a defense of not identifying or attacking, or God forbid, I don't talk about violence. I, I never, uh, um, I mean, the forcible elimination of the elite, I want to see done by voting in America, not by violence. But this is the theme of the book. And what has happened, I, I do believe, um, is that a lot of intelligent people, some of my dearest friends, put into this vague concept that is so unbelievable you can't wrap your mind around it reason they put in good reasoning into it but the book itself is clearly taking the position and it was very interesting in the paper in the three-part paper which you can get on um america out loud i read it in that i point out that he actually does discuss the media for a few minutes in the book, maybe a page or two. And he says they were there's no, there's no conspiracy in America. It was an accident that uh, all the media was saying exactly the same thing. He actually says it. And he says, and I talked to two people who were on the other side politically, and they agreed with me. He says, two people. The media was orchestrated like a march. Um, you literally, uh, some of the critical in me, uh, media in America, um, which is the conservative media, the conservatives in America are not Nazis, they're actually the opposite of Nazis in America. Um, they uh, believe in freedom. And um, the conservative media used to put up like six or seven of the same three or four or five words coming out of the mouths of six or seven different 
uh, columnists on the air and new supposedly reporters on the air was lockstep. So there he is. He's literally forced to reject the idea that there's a force behind the media. It's all part of just this vague thing that emanates from the people. It's so hard to believe that no one's talking about it. And instead, what everybody's doing is putting in sound reasoning to replace it. Um, well, and I mean, also, it's... he, just one other word now, we'll go back to you. He also does not discuss the worst of it until about page 127, 28. And I haven't gotten to that yet. There's a second thing he does that's perhaps in the long run worse. Um, so you read the beginning of the book and it's very hard to make any sense out of it because he says one thing, he says another, he says one thing, he says another. Um, but if you look at the first pages of the book, um, you know, he talks about the solution is basically for us to treat each other better. It's not to identify, that is forbidden, to identify a ruling class that collaborates among itself to harm people. You cannot do that. It's a defense of the uh, elite. It's a defense of the collaborating class. I'm sorry. Let me let me uh, stop again. And let you talk. Well, I mean, it's it's uh, it seems to be. I mean, it's very hard to, uh, to you know get a connection between like what he said to us, also like in the the set various interviews. That's right. That he schmoozes people. What That's you right. See, like he... in in the book now, what you say, um, I, I I'm not quite sure. I mean. I think, I mean, obviously, like if you point out some elites or like some families or businesses or whatever, like there's various theories, obviously, who's behind everything. I mean, what I think can be true is that you, well, you say you, for, for instance, chop up, I mean, not like in with violence, but like in a in a sort of democratic matter, the, the heads of this, this hydra for, um, you know, of like people that we can see visible, then if it's really a system, there's people behind, you know, coming then back in filling the gaps and then you have the same uh, you know it, it doesn't matter who heads like procter and gamble for instance i mean i'm not talking about that they are behind everything or like vanguard no you I mean, you must that, identify the system that, you must identify the system and that is could it be that it's this but he and he with the system also he means the also the ideologically um do you know the ideological setup behind it Maybe that's something that he wanted to put. I mean, it's hard to kind of uh, sort of uh, uh, creep into his mind and now come up with uh, with uh, interpretation. It would be good to have him right here now with us so he could then tell us. Well, I understand what it. you're saying, but um, I've also read his interviews. I've read his, I read his interview with Reiner and um, he does never, he says in each interview, once all the various interviews uh, there are no conspiracies and no, and no one ever picks him up on it and i think it's because this guy's a real smooth talker well peter here's something that i did i remember um i haven't watched that clip again but we did have him on our uh model grand jury proceeding and it at one point i remember very clearly that i asked him well, do you really not think that there's anybody culpable here? Because I, as a lawyer, am always looking for someone who is responsible. And uh, to tell you uh, a, a non-secret, 
of course I believe there's people behind this. There are people who have orchestrated this. There's there's people involved in this, both in politics and and uh, medicine and the judiciary. And then there's those who are pulling their strings. They're the real culprits, and we're going to get them definitely. But um, so what did Desmond say? What did Desmond say when you asked? Well, that's uh, that's something we need to. It's a good question. It's we need to clear this up because I didn't want to push him, but he did not really give me a clear answer. No. Well, but he gives a clear answer in the book. But I, I will think, ask him again, Peter. Yeah. Well, he may even change what he says. This is not a reliable human being. He has he's in he's in, endowed with a purpose. The purpose is very, very clear. He schmoozes people, he doesn't tell them exactly what he thinks. He wants to get into a position of strength. And then he writes the book in which he gives away more of what he thinks um, amid all these contradictions. But I'm not surprised that you that he did not come forward because his basic point is that we have to we have to change ourselves. We are the problem. I'm I want to read you a section of the book. Uh, no, I want to stop and make sure uh, everybody understands. I do I do believe um, is it Dr. Fisher um, that um, that people fill him in with reason, and that's not where he's coming from. It's not his purpose. Now, one of the th things he does that is the most destructive, and this I think there's very, very dangerous. And that is, he says that those people who see, and I'm going to read it to you from the book, those people who see conspiracies are driven by anxiety. What, what is happening to them is they're, they're, they're seeing the uh, mass formation, but they're not caught in it. And it so frightens them to see the mass formation that they invent conspiracies about other people doing this to them so that they won't have to take responsibility for themselves as doing it. Let me read it to you. I don't know how it's going to come across, uh, but there's, you know, since there's so much question about what he is actually saying, this is on page 127. Um, People who are not in the grip of mass formation initially find themselves in an extremely diffuse situation that they do not understand. The phenomena of mass formation appears absurd, bewildering to those who are not in its grip. And we all can see agree with, agree with the fact that people get freaked out, and it's maybe freaky to watch them. And I think that a lot of my colleagues have felt exactly that. And they feel threatened by its controlling appearance and this typical intolerance toward those who refuse to partake. And he says, see chapter six. In this state, the confused spectator, which is us, by the way, any of us who are thinking about these things. In this state, the confused spectator typically develops an intense need for a simple framework, which allows him to mentally master the complexity and in which to place and control the anxiety and other intense emotions that arise. An interpretation in terms of a conspiracy meets the need. It reduces the enormous complexity of the phenomena to a simple frame of reference 
all anxiety is linked to one object, parentheses, a group of people who intentionally deceives the supposed elite. And quotation, and uh, parentheses, it's elite is in quotes and it's the supposed elite. And thereby becomes mentally manageable. So his anxiety thereby becomes mentally manageable. I'll read the whole thing again if it's hard to follow. Um, all blame can be placed outside oneself. So, Reiner, we're supposed to blame ourselves. But, uh, you know, can I ask him to, I don't, like, for instance, I don't see myself as a conspiracy theorist, you know. I think it's something, uh, there might be a point that he makes, you know, if you say, for instance, oh, behind everything that we see, it's the white, white-legged frogs. You know, something you do come up with something very uh, it's it's whatever, like they come from inner earth and they do all these kind of things. Yes, that can be like a very simple conspiracy theory, you know, that I then um, fall for or like the the great white aliens. Yeah, or see, like I the, think I think you're know, putting like, reason into it. Yeah, but I mean, why shouldn't we try to put reason into because something? this I, is terrifying. I, I, this no, is but, why I talked about the Nazi Germany and the use of this in China. And I'm going to point out to you in a few minutes that it's being used now in Europe. But, you know, I think it's an important point if we say, like, um, if we say, okay, we look at something like evidence-based and we see, okay, there's there's this kind of whatever, there's this wrong treatment, there's this uh, change of definitions or the, these kind of things. And that points to, um, you know, that there's maybe like, like some um, lobby interests or like more behind it but if you if you come and say oh it's the jews it's the russians it's the it's the whatever the the chinese i mean these kinds of things if you if you revert to, to these things always for like a simpler explanation i think then you might have said could say oh yeah that's giving or like qanon or whatever you know that yeah. gives me relief because it's a simple and there's actually like donald trump like fixing everything or whatever you know like i mean what 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 people can say then it's it can be something that is can be maybe be defined in the in such way as as Matthias Desmond says but I don't think I mean I don't see myself like <laughs> you know like uh, included in that quote because I mean if we ask questions and then see there's there's uh, whatever follow the money kind of things then that is not necessarily a simple uh, minded uh, you know blind-eyed uh, conspiracy the theory just that just gives me like a better feeling but it's maybe really it's like a like what do you you know like a, a district attorney it's like a hypothesis of that's maybe a crime and then we look close into that so do you know that's that's and something else in my my views do you i think we have to distinguish between what how we feel about it and how he writes about it as i said i of course am absolutely convinced based on all these interviews that we did that we're dealing with a humongously with a gross gross conspiracy theory we not it's not a conspiracy theory. it's it's reality we are reality. dealing we are dealing with perpetrators who are behind this and who are responsible and the question now is is it correct that uh matthias desmond denies this and um no doubt about it and and, and that is that is what we're talking about that it's not it's not a matter of how we feel as i exactly. said before i'm absolutely convinced that there's of course people behind this and that we're going to get them because they're culpable he does um, not want you getting anybody 
No. So what's his? Why would he do something like this? So do you think he's like part of and like a, a larger uh, um, agenda, like in the sense of uh, well, what, let, what's his plan? Like putting out these things that yeah. you say. Well, let, let me finish reading the quote a little bit, and then I'll try to address that. But I don't think I I can t uh, tell you answer your question. Mm -hmm. He says, um, and and I want to say that all the things you said are very right, Doctor Fisher. Right on. They are not in the book. There's no such discussion as you just gave in the book. He is not talking about uh, tin hat people here. He is saying that the people who don't fall for this get so frightened and upset that they then create something of their own to believe in. And he is not identifying it as uh, anything more than uh, what I'm reading. There's every, see, he is perfectly establishes a method when he speaks and when he writes of you can fill in the blanks if you don't read carefully and if you don't challenge his very, he must be really such a nice guy. I mean, whoa, he just wows people. Let me go, let me read, let me just finish here again. All blame can be placed outside oneself and the other and subsequently all frustration and anger can also be directed at the singular object. And he then goes on to say, you know, that this can eventually lead to aggression. Um, he just doesn't say what you say. He says what he says here. And I want to remind you that he actually says there's no conspiracy in the American media. When pinned, pinned himself down in the book on that one, I was very surprised. But he And he bases his argument on two people who told him they didn't think there was a conspiracy who were apparently people on the other side who in America are conservatives. Um, and can now, I ask you, he, if, if he has this kind of agenda or like oh. what comes out in this in this book, is it then, why do you think is that so much different from what he talks about? Or like, you know, is it um, because I, what, what- Well, if you listen from, to what he yeah. talks about, he never names anybody to attack would defend against. So if you look, he's, he's very, he does a, a, a very smooth talk about this. But then if you, uh, he talks about how much people are suffering and he does all those things, but he never says, and uh, the Chinese communists and Bill Gates are funding the World Health Organization and the World Health Organization is their spearhead. And now the World Health Organization is, is uh, working with uh, President uh, uh, Biden of America for the nations of the world to give up their sovereignty on global health issues. It's all missing. There's nothing in the whole book about anything like that. And uh, there's nothing in um, the um, um, anything he says that would lift anyone up to stand up for their freedom and fight. Absolutely not. There's nothing. He doesn't want that. It's a very carefully crafted. And um, most people are not looking for this kind of thing. I have a horrible amount of experience with it. I've been a medical expert in many, many trials against the drug companies. Um, and uh, the degree to which 
people will figure out ways to, to never tell you what they think and get around it. If you've read a hundred depositions, you begin to, as Reiner has, you begin to get the idea of how somebody can just talk and talk and talk yeah. and sound really cool and nice. And they've got a lot of things acknowledged. And then you realize when they're done, they have, there's nobody to blame, but what, who the patient comes back to the patient. It was really the patient's problem. And psychiatry has done that and psychology has done that on a massive uh, level. Um, Reiner's is uh, not, <laughs> oh God, if I start making slips like that, I'm going to whack myself a little bit, get myself uh, moving better. Um, Desmond is a psychoanalyst by training. And I think I didn't leave a lot of it in, the, in my write-up, but I put in some. Uh, Freud was a master at this, at what he's doing. Freud um, never blamed society for, for anything. He thought women were inferior. He had no concept of uh, patriarchy. He had no concept of why all his patients were suffering. When he finally realized that they were being sexually abused, um, he, uh, he realized that and very weirdly called it the seduction theory as if the children had been seduced. And... Um, and if they were, what difference? They're five years old, four years old. These stories are coming from very early. Um, and he announced this theory to his colleagues in, in uh, Germany. And um, they turned their backs on him and left the room. And uh, Jeffrey Mason, in, in a book about this, um, describes the letters of Freud as he gradually changed his mind and decided the children were imagining it. So this exact model is in Freud, his mentor. And the, that's the Oedipus complex. The Oedipus complex is, is that children lust after their parents, a completely ridiculous idea. Their parents look old and wrinkly. They lust after their own kind, their own age. If they're going to lust, they want to show their behinds. It's not to the adults. It's always to another kid. <laughs> I, I mean, when I read that, I knew that this didn't make any sense at all. and. Um, and he literally, Freud betrayed women, the whole abuse issue, totally set it back a century by saying children lust after their parents, the authorities are doing nothing bad. That is the analogy I would make out of his training. Uh, and, uh, and then one can say, because it's so obviously not true, one can say, well, he meant this, he meant that, he meant the other. No, he didn't. He didn't mean any of the others that we know. He did not mean that, uh, that the parents were somehow responsible. They were not. And this is what they did to their patients, too. So this, this is the model. This is the blaming of the victim model. And... Um, even if he, under pressure, were to say, oh, no, I mean, no, no, there are kids, I wouldn't, I mean, it's, that's just, he's just blowing smoke. Because his purpose, as he said in every interview I saw of him, and not a lot, was to always say there are no conspiracies. It's like he was getting ready to handle Rhino Foolish. He was getting ready to undercut what was going on in Europe at the time. Now the the thing about uh, blaming the um, about these people um, Malone and I won't don't want to get into Malone very much right now. I plan to write something about Malone. Malone is the person who popularized Desmond. They've been working together for a long time, and 
Malone uh, may have coined the phrase, it's not clear from what he says, but he got the agreement of Desmet to go to the phrase of um, mass psychosis. So Desmet's in agreement with it, but it's not in the book. Now this carries the problem to a new and even more dangerous level. Psychosis is an official diagnosis within the international and also American, but the international diagnostic system. And there is a category of um, types of delusional psychoses, paranoid type. That is what Desmet says the masses have. He even talks about their paranoid tendencies, not extensively, but in that same section, I think he talks about it. And so the, the masses are being set up for being accused of being literally delusional. Um, that's exactly what it sounds like, a mass delusion. There in fact was a book written about six months before Desmond's in America by a psychiatrist saying that, that, the, that our population has a mass delusion, but he blamed it on the oppression, very different from Desmond. And, and it was hard for him to do that because he thought everything was biochemical, but not always, he said, this typical psychiatrist. Um, now, what I write in my paper is that, in fact, while, um, while the mass is being defined as the people who are buying the, the bad narrative or whatever, eventually this will be used against the dissenters to... Uh, uh, the people who are actually standing up on these issues, the people that he talks about who are seeing some planning and organization behind everything and the supposed elites. You can't ignore words like that, Dr. Fisher, supposed elites, and then later bringing up elites and wanting me to not criticize them. That's very powerful stuff. And um, what the people who eventually get get this thing used against them are the act of dissenters whom he does focus on in, in the book. And we now, we have a, uh, an article out of, um, in Dutch that's come out recently. And it was November, 2021, the same time that Desmet was really getting warmed up in the media and Malone was getting warmed up in the media with mass psychosis. And this article in Dutch is by uh, W. Velling, uh, V-E-L-I-N-G. Three psychiatrists, three psychologists, and then a few other people. They're writing in uh, psychiatry and co- Well, no, that's the subject. They're writing in the magazine for psychiatry, page 775, November 2021, volume... I'm having a little trouble reading a small print, 63. The title is Are Conspiracy Theorists Psychotic? That's the article you sent us, right? I read it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A comparison between conspiracy theories and paranoid delusions. Now, interestingly enough, and the attack here is on the American right wing. It's... Um, on the, on the conservatives in America. 
which as I predicted, basically, this is what it would be used against. It's going to be used against those who are dissenting globalism. I know this is a hard thing for Europeans, but in America, the freedom movement is not the left. It's not the left. Mm -hmm. Biden is not a freedom person. Um, and these people are more sophisticated than um, Desmond. Desmond is not very, uh, he's not a very good psychologist. He's terrible. These people at least are thinking a little more psycho psychologically. And what they say is, well, they don't exactly have these principles of psychosis as we understand them because in psychosis it's always a conspiracy just against you it doesn't it's not even that that sophisticated but can i ask you like i i think it's good when we talk about these issues that you know that you see with the theories of desmond but i find it a little bit you know we should not say he's not a a good psychiatrist so we don't know you know i, I don't know do you have uh well, i've read his psychiatrist book. you know he's like a, he's, i've read his book he but, blames but let's, victims let's not attack the person you know, no i i don't you know, agree with you i'm sorry we, yeah. we need I'm not attacking the person. I'm saying us, it's like college is lousy. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Reiner. I, I was going to say, please let us hear each other out and let yeah. us have each other's opinions. I mean, Thank you. this is what this is all about. This is what science and this is what democracy is all about. You discuss you. different opinions, but you can't just shut someone up. We no, wanna, it's not I about chatting act, but I think it's good when we I have, to, you know, when I have we, this when we talk. Yes, can I just uh, quickly, you know, I think it's like we should not say like he's not a reliable person. He's not like because I think we, we're not we're talking about the, the topics, you know, or the statements of a person. But I, I just I mean, for style, I think it's cool. Good when we just not attack the person the human being you know what i mean i think i'm i'm I, otherwise the all these the the points that you make these are all of course we can discuss i think it's good but let's stay away from like attacking the person well we're going to hear we're going to hear him as well and i'm not yeah. going to shut him up either no, um i have i have i have one question peter uh he is talking about the dissenting voices and how they must not be silenced because if they are silenced i think this is precisely what he says then the killing begins yeah. the dissenting voices what does he mean by that in as far as you're concerned what is your take on this do, are they dissenting from mass formation only or are dissent is this a dissent uh as far as the people who are behind this is concerned because this is what i used to think i mean this is this this is a really really important question because if there are dissenting voices and they're not all of them are in mass hypnosis or mass formation who are they disagreeing with with those who are in mass hypnosis and mass formation or is he maybe uh, uh trying to elude to those who are behind this that that would then mean he does acknowledge that their people were responsible what do you think i think i'm the dissenting voice i think you're the dissenting voice i, do. I, th I think that uh, uh what are we dissenting from i i as far as i'm concerned i am dissent or i am in dissent with those who are pulling the strings i don't you know i don't i don't see my enemies or the people who we need to fight as those who are in mass hypnosis or mass formation they're the victims 
I'm dis I'm dissenting with those who are pulling the strings, those who are trying to pull the wool over our eyes. And I'm my question is, how does he what what in your view, how does he what does he mean by dissenting voices? What are they in dissent with? I think he's talking about me uh, and other people. I don't know if personally he's talking about me. In his long response to me, he wants us to get together and have tea. This is BS. I'm sorry. I don't trust this nonsense one bit. But that, that's what he says. We, we'll get along. We can just get along. And this is appealing, I guess. Not, I mean, not to my sophisticated <laughs> sophistication. I, I'm, a, I'm 86. I've seen too much of that. Why can't we all get together when they're trying to hurt us? Um, and but that's what he writes to me. And the, uh, you know, uh, we, me and Ginger, we could get together. We could have tea. Um, Malone actually, for the first time, contacted me and said, "Why am I being mean to Desmond?" And well, you know, why can't we all do? Why do? Why don't you talk to Desmond and that kind of thing? But I, I know, I, you know, the the clearly the energy is directed at those of us who are thinking about a global, uh, large scale, or even a national conspiracy. That's what all that. this is about. It's, it's much more than that, as far as I'm concerned. But if I'm in this, what do you mean by much more than that? Because I doubt if oh, we it's, disagree. It's, it's it's not just a national. It is a. It's. I mean, they even call it that lockstep approach. It's a global lockstep. Yeah, well, I think it's global. You know that I wrote Absolutely. the book on it. Absolutely. Yeah. But if you're in dissent, you mean what, what this means is you are you don't agree with someone else, and I feel that I'm not disagreeing with the masses they're not the ones that uh i'm in disagreement with those who are pulling the strings yeah. they are the ones who i would go after as a lawyer i'm not yeah. going to go after the masses i'm not going to go after the victims yeah yeah absolutely i'm in total agreement with you and um I mean, it'd be interesting to see what happens when you pin him down, but I think uh, it's going to be something that he thinks is as close as he can get away with, still not blaming anybody, protecting the elite or the political class or the globalists. Um, he acts like he never read an article or a book that made any sense about the conspiracy theories. He doesn't re refer to any... Uh, any of the great books and he also um and i by the way i was interrupted so i want to come back to it he's not a good psychologist good psychologists avoid blaming victims and um it's the worst thing you can do as a psychologist or a psychiatrist my colleagues have blamed the victims since time began I mean, we destroyed people in state mental hospitals and said, this is the course of chronic mental illness. We, uh, we have this terrible disease, tardive dyskinesia, that we blamed on women being weird in their old age. The only way it was recognized was when it struck back in 1954, uh, or probably 52, sailors who were on leave, who were in a, in a, a ship in uh, uh doing exercises and they gave them these drugs for nausea because they're also anti-nausea and they started developing the twitches that really really confused everybody how are we going to blame the soldiers for their twitches so i have feel very very strongly dr fisher 
um, with all, really all due respect, I feel very strongly that I'm going to call what I see and the way my colleagues behave. I've been doing it my whole life since I was 18 in the state mental hospitals. And uh, this is a very bad thing to blame victims. But more dangerous even is the blaming of the people who are developing theories of what's going on. And, uh, and, and his statements, every interview that I saw, that there are no conspiracies, but he just sort of flies by with it. Um, That's very interesting. I think it, it will be interesting to hear his view on that. You know, I think it's good to point out things as, you know, my, I have a, Thank you. My, my, my father is, uh, he, he was also a say, psychiatrist and um, no, a, a, um, a, a psychoanalyst, you know, like psychoanalyst. Yeah, so he actually brought the um, the uh, traumatology to Germany, psychotraumatology, you know, so he worked in that field. And um, Well, so see, that's a really good field, and that is not typical of psychoanalysis. Psychoanalysis was not based on a trauma theory. It was based on a psychic theory in, of your own internals. That's great that he was an early traumatologist. Yeah, so I think it's really important to look at, at what's going on like closely. I think it's um, you know there's so many psychological aspects involved now in this in this field. Yes, absolutely. And we're going to pin him down, like ask Desmet if he what's his uh, what he if my sort of what I read into his statements, um, if that's what is what he meant, or if it's like I mean maybe mm -hmm. really something else. I think it, it'll be important to to ask these questions. Well, I would specifically ask him questions like in your book. Uh... And maybe I should do a little work with her. I'm kind of exhausted. I think you can tell from my voice. I think I've overdone myself. But um, the, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, ask him, did you say in your book that the media, lockstep media in the United States is, is not ind indicative of people conspiring behind the scenes to make sure that the reporters report the same thing? Get very, very specific with him about things like that. And uh, would you ever hold a Nuremberg trial? Now, his mentor, um, uh, probably for more sophisticated reasons, Hannah Arendt was against the, the Nuremberg trials. She was his mentor by writing. I don't think they necessarily knew each other. Um, you know, is it wrong to hold people, uh, people in power responsible? And, uh, you know, Ask him about the Holocaust and, uh, you know, was there an organized program of euthanasia that was a conspiracy? Oh, now, one of the things he says, so I want to prepare you for him. So one of the things he says in his book is where he's, he's, he's looking at uh, how they, um, uh, people came up with all these different uh, uh, moments where they... Um, predicted that there was going to be this COVID. And people have uh, have said that it was um, a conspiracy. And he says, how could it have been a conspiracy? A conspiracy is secret. These people were doing it out loud. And besides, it was just happenstance or that they happened to predict it or whatever. Yeah, that's so. Good. I point it's it is quite ridiculous actually. So I pointed out in the in my uh, paper that first of all the technical legal definition of conspiracy under U.S. law has nothing in it about secrecy. Nothing. It doesn't require the element of secrecy. Mm -hmm. So in Europe too, that's good. Mm -hmm. And in fact, all a conspiracy is is uh, 
two or more people planning criminal activity together. Mm -hmm. And so again, I did not find him reliable. And um, but I learned about uh, actually it was Catherine Austin Fitz who told me what the definition of conspiracy was. So I looked it up to check it and, and put a citation in. But the other thing, again, where he is not being a where he's twisting everything, he's not being a sound psychologist, is that any psychologist knows that people signal what they're going to do all the time. So I'm an expert on mass murder. I've been involved as an expert of three of the more massive mass murders in the U.S., including the original Columbine, including the Aurora Theater. And um, they always signal. The Aurora Theater person went to the physician, the psychiatrist at her university who said she was the expert on school violence. And he told her, I'm feeling too violent to even tell you what it is because you locked me up. And she never found out what it was, so she started him on antidepressants, which cause violence. Um, so they, they signal almost every Hitler signaled up and down what his plans were. He may never have said, and then I'm going to finally exterminate him. I don't know. But certainly he showed very clearly his malintentions toward the Jewish people, toward uh, actually, uh, you know, uh, he was called in the West, uh, the first great, one of the great eugenicists, the first, the first eugenic mental health uh, leader of the nation. Uh, in English-speaking uh, journals. Um, but, you know, pin him down on the very specifics like that, that, uh, that, that, that doesn't he know that uh, conspiracies don't require silence and doesn't he know people signal? That's a common phenomenon. But then there's a third thing that's more political, which is they have to talk about it in order to get investors and to get other people interested and to get the whole thing planned. It can't be in secret. It just has to not fully get exposed. Makes sense. Yeah. And there was a lot more signaling in my book, uh, in my chronology. The signaling for specific coronavirus goes back to 2015, not just not just 2000, not just 2018, 19. Um, but I don't know what his, what his motives are. I don't know. I can tell you what it is like. Its effect is a psy. It's a psyops. Mm -hmm. That is, it, it's a, it's a psychological operation. That's the effect of what he's doing. It's indistinguishable in its effects. It causes confusion, turmoil, disagreement, and people distracts them from the violence and uh, invites attack on the. Uh, people who believe in conspiracies. And he does not say way out people or anything like that. Um, that means you believe that this is not just a mistake, but rather there could be an agenda behind this. There you're, is an agenda. There is, you can't distort the truth so badly without an agenda. If the truth would take you here and you're going like this, no, this is an agenda. And he, look what he wrote to me. He, he wrote to me, you know, don't uh, try to forcibly replace the elite. I mean, that's the agenda. Don't, don't take on the elite. Mm -hmm. 
anti-threatening in a way when he says it'll be self-defeating for you to do that. Um, no, it's definitely to protect the elite. You know, when I read your three-part analysis of what you think he's doing there, um, I I was a little bit surprised how um, how vehemently you not not necessarily attacked him, but um, opposed his his views. Now I understand because that is what you're seeing behind this. Oh God, yeah. Mm. It's scary. Yeah. We'll and Malone up Malone, who I'll talk about later, really upped the danger by giving it a medical diagnosis. Because now we have a psychology textbook and a diagnosis by a physician that goes along with it that calls it a mass psychosis. I don't want to talk much more about Malone, other than I invited him on my TV show many times for probably as long as he's been around and he would not come on. Oh. Why? But Desmond wants to have tea with me and Malone wants me to have tea with Desmond. <laughs> you know, um... I'm so glad I, you know, I toned down what I toned down the article about what I my feelings, but I feel very comfortable uh, with you, Reiner, talking about my feelings. And I think it's necessary because I, you know, I know about this stuff in ways that other people do not. Um, I mean, they had to bring me to Germany in around 1985 to talk about the psychiatric murder program. <laughs> you know, um, I as a lawyer and as a real person, I absolutely 1000% believe in free speech. It is at the very foundation yes. of democracy. And if we cannot tell how we feel, how we look at things, then this is it. There is no free speech anymore. In Germany, and I don't think in any other country does this exist, insulting language, insults, that's a crime. Oh boy. It's a crime or a misdemeanor, but still it's yeah. a criminal activity. You can be, you can be um you can be sentenced for insulting people. And I learned in the United States at law school at UCLA from one of my teachers that we live in a uh, 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 in a difficult world. And of course, it must be allowed to sometimes go a little too far, unless of course you enter into the field of um of defamation but that's a different story defamation is uh telling untrue things uh about others right. but insulting people that sometimes happens and it's not a crime that's why i am vehemently opposed to anyone and this is that's why i think this is um germany is a particularly bad place uh, when it comes to free speech because of course it cannot be a crime yeah. it cannot be a misdemeanor either um and that's why um I, I I didn't mean to uh, attack you, Vivian, but I, that's why I think it should be and must be, it must be possible for you as an expert to state your opinion about another expert. Yeah, of course. No, I think that's that's very important and good. And um, do you know, I think what you mentioned this whole uh, like what the Nazis did with like killing the 
the the life unworth living you know the so-called i mean that's such a such a horrible thing that that happened there and it's it's I, i'm absolutely true that doctors and psychiatrists and all these people played an important role in these kind Very of horrific you know this like my great uncle spoke out against these uh, activities and then he was a catholic priest and then they you know, mm. took him out of the church and killed him. He actually got killed in Dachau in the concentration camp. Yeah. And um, because his, his criticism of these kind of this T4, yeah. um, I think it was called T4 activity that they, uh, you know, did. And it's it's very important that we we look into these things. Yeah, but I'm, I'm curious, like, what kind of answers we're going to get from Desmet and, uh, you know, like it's... Well, he's been well prepped. I mean, uh, you keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. He'll watch this. He's read my critique. So he's going to be very well prepped. Well, He'll have to be is, really pinned down there, on this. There are no Go two ahead. ways about, uh, about this, uh, Peter. Either you do believe that someone's responsible or you don't. And I, based on all the evidence that we've seen, and absolutely, I'm absolutely convinced that we do have some people who are responsible, not just a few, but many, many, many. And we will hold them responsible. Of course, they're not part of this mass formation. Those who are pulling the strings, they're the ones who created mass mm-hmm. formation. So why not hold them responsible? We'll see. Uh, we'll see how um, how right. he sees this. I was hoping um, up until this moment, and I still am hoping that um, we're just misinterpreting him right now. But of course, there's someone who, and not just someone, there's many people who are responsible, and we will get them. The thing that that he is not going to that that will be the hardest for him, and um, I hate to prepare him this well if he listens to this, is going to be the conspiracy issue. Are there people collaborating to make bad things happen? Uh, because when he's willing to say the media in the U.S. Was not co- not being had to, having its strings pulled by a collaboration. They were collaborating, since the media was actually collaborating with their bosses, who were collaborating with the globalists because of all these tie-ins corporately, and um, and they were trying to suppress any notion of a, of a, of any kind of global problem. And um, just for clarity, and I, I know how much Europeans tend to hate Trump. Uh, Trump announced that he was anti-globalist before election. He stood up to the globalists in the Republican Party, his own party. He said the Kochs were these wealthy people who were, so, they want totally open border in America. They want totally open borders everywhere, not because they love people, but because they want a labor market that they can exploit equally in US or Vietnam. They want everybody to have a poor labor market. That's why he opened the borders up. And um, he said uh, in his usual fashion, no, the Cokes, they're nice people. I know them. They're globalists. We don't need them. And um, that's why he has been so attacked. And the um, the issue, um, and I probably I may ruin everything with this, and my wife will say you shouldn't be talking about this. But the issue of the so-called uprising in the, in the capital that's been made an insurrection, I want to educate you briefly on that because that's blaming the victim again. There was no insurrection. There was a very confusing confrontation, very confusing between police and agitators, who were very few of whom were Trump supporters, 
Remember, we've had riots in our cities over 100 times. Those are the people who agitate, and they're the extreme progressives, literally funded directly by Soros. And the mayor's funded by Soros. And the prosecuting attorney's funded by Soros. I don't know how much you all know about this. And um, Trump did not call for violence. Or he said, go peacefully. I mean, I've seen this. I've read the whole speech. I've seen the speech. And uh, that doesn't mean I, I love Trump. I, he was a disaster on COVID-19, but I want a terrible disaster. Um, but there was no insurrection. I uh, was. I had one client, more or less, sort of, informally, who was uh, a poor soul who was under attack by the uh, government for for being at the um, uh, in the capital, and she led me to to videos that actually she was in of police inviting the crowd through the doors. I saw that. I saw that. There's a bunch of them. And then mm -hmm. going up the stairs, up into the building, to the next flight of stairs, and then up those stairs, holding the doors. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there's a lot of videos of the police indiscriminately, wildly attacking the crowds. And the crowds packing back, but it's a very still, it's very limited to where mostly the police are. There's a lot of police abuse on video. And we now have in America something I hope you don't yet have in Germany. We have several hundred, Mount Unknown, 300, 400 people still in, in prison without a trial since that day, which is now, I don't know, 16 months or whatever. We are a third world country under Biden. And these people are charged with things like trespassing, and they cannot get a trial. And the District of Columbia, which is the way the judges are, have just completely collaborated with keeping people in jail because they're suspected of conspiracy to cause an insurrection. Hmm. It's bizarre what's going on in the US. Now, that part of the story I was not aware of, that there are people still being held. Oh, my hundreds. We're not getting a chance to get go on trial. But here's the thing that you probably didn't know. A very similar incident happened in Germany. This was on August, I think, 31st of 2020, when there, mm. there was a group of people storming the Reichstag, and that was completely staged, as we now know, completely staged. Yeah. Again, you can see the lockstep approach. This is not by coincidence. As no, far it as isn't. Well, Trump asked for, uh, offered to send the National Guard in before the uh, riots. Mm -hmm. And he was turned down. We know this fact. He was turned down by... Uh, Pelosi, who was the head of the House, that's where the meetings were taking place, and it was turned down by the D.C. police. There was no beefing up of the Capitol Police. They were totally unprepared. Um, and uh, Trump, Trump's people sent over, you know, listen, we want to keep order. We don't need you. The whole thing was concocted. Then there were people who were uh, you know, were very angry, but that Trump wasn't encouraging them. There was uh, no guns, not one gun was found 
around in the Capitol. Two people were arrested for carrying guns on the periphery of the crowd. They had handguns. People in America carry handguns. I don't know whether they were legal or illegal. They must have been if they were in D.C. They are probably illegal from out of state. There were no violence. There was no heavy weapon violence at all, except by the police with their batons. It's a biz it has been so distorted. My friends in Europe and Australia, they think we had this awful assault and Trump inspired it. Um, it's just not true. And now they've done something that's never happened in America. They have invaded the home of an ex-president, stolen his passport over nothing. The man was negotiating about returning papers that, that he could have declassified himself before he left. I mean, it's, a, it's silly. And uh, this, is a, this is who they're after. They're after the anti-globalists. And um, Trump, you know, he went after China. He brought back our, he brought back industries to America. His platform was America first. And, and as he said, I'm sure in one way or another, he's for Germany first. He's for North Korea first. Just don't attack other people. You know, it, uh, as far as I can tell, it's right now, it's the American FBI that are inciting violence even by uh, absolutely by claiming that the Trump supporters are violent people. There's absolutely no question about it. And the major violence in America is black on black. It's young black people from these destroyed inner cities. The families have been crushed by extreme democratic politics. Uh, so they don't have to work or they think they don't have to work. And, um, and their families are, are broken. They've been told to hate whites now. It's a lot of hate speech, but it's uh, blacks being taught to hate whites and it's a, a very, they are trying to brew up something that will allow them to do a permanent uh, martial law. They've, right now, many of us feel we're living under martial law. I know. Yeah, it's really terrible. I mean, when I mentioned Trump before, I didn't mean to say that it's like, uh, you know, like, I, I was actually just like bringing him on as an example that if someone believes that he himself, like a superhero, will like single-handedly like save mm. us everything from, you know, that's, that could be like one example of maybe like an exaggerated hope. That was uh, what I meant, right. you know, not in, in, I, I thank in you. general I that like that. people, you know, who, uh, yeah. who are for uh, in his, in his field might not right. also be of, um, but I mean, what you can see is clearly, I mean, to me, this whole thing with the vaccine is like clear um clear evidence that there's some sort of agenda going on because like this rollout you know this like like everywhere around the world not withdrawing it uh, you know pulling it off the markers now that we know that it's like not helping but like rather inducing damage and that it's the same everywhere you know this this is really very very suspicious and to me that really points to some sort of agenda whoever yeah. is in the end behind it pulling the strings but it's not cannot happen by just um, happenstance i don't think it, it can there's no way on earth and nazi germany didn't happen by happenstance i mean partly it's a two thousand year event and two thousand years of highly coordinated anti-semitism went into it 
they were using documents created by the church years and years earlier and fake documents and so on and so forth. Uh, the conspiracies are what makes the world go round. Now, another area that he was wrong in, I think he relied on Wikipedia, doesn't it? He said that totalitarianism is a modern phenomenon, um, never existed before. And I, I think he's trying to say something about the modern masses. But um, in fact, that's false. And so uh, sort of being playful about it, I, uh, I go back and, and look at um, uh, another online source, uh, uh, Botanica, which I say is slightly more reliable than Wikipedia. And Britannica talks about, you know, the the uh, huge empires, totalitarian, under their totalitarianism section, empires going back to ancient China and even up into Africa uh, uh, during the 1600s. So it's a long, different races, different groups doing doing um, totalitarian empires. And they really did control things. I mean, the ancient Chinese empires, they controlled free speech. <laughs> they did it. Um, so again, he's he's just trying to build a case. He's not got science behind him. Well, he is saying that uh, what's unique about totalitarianism as opposed to dictatorship is that they always need an enemy. And in a totalitarian uh, society, there's always the need for an enemy, which society, the mob, uh, can can focus on, and that's as an example. Uh, he he cited uh, he he cited um, uh, Stalin. He first went after the rich people, the well-educated people. Then came the farmers, the peasants. Then ultimately, he killed off half the members of his own party, and that's why he says it's always self-destructive. In the end, maybe that's what it is. But now that I'm hearing your view of this um, and your um, the 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 fact that you believe that there's an agenda behind this, this could also mean we should just sit back and wait because ultimately it's going to be self-defeated. It's going to defeat itself, which I I'm not sure it will because if we don't no. stop it, it's going to continue. I no, no, you could have a thousand years of a Chinese empire if this if we lose. The Chinese will eat the Western Empire up alive and we'll have a thousand years. I mean, who knows how long? Empires last long times. They last hundreds and hundreds of years. That's a ridic another ridiculous assertion. And uh, if the Nazis had won, or if the Japanese had won, or the U USSR and Mao had won, we'd have a long totalitarian. They do not defeat themselves. Isn't that stupid? They were defeated by a coalition that finally required the United States to enter in and fight them. And the United States conspired to beat him, and they conspired to beat us, and we all won. But on our side, thank God. But those are, those people were planning empires that we were fighting. They were totalitarians planning empires. But that goes back forever. I mean, ancient Greece, when people fight, they build up rage toward the other. And then the soldiers go in. And it was worse than the old days, probably. The soldiers go in and rape and kill everybody in the city. It's ridiculous makes no sense he just makes up things we, we didn't have enemies and we used to kill each other 
I'm sure we had enemies when we were hunter-gatherers and we were scared of the other hunter-gatherers in the next region. We even have some evidence of hunter-gatherers mass murdering, which is like 20 people in the other, in another group. There's not a lot of it. Mostly starts. All this starts. Actually, the history of what we're looking at today starts at around um, 10,000 years ago with the development of people living in groups and sedentary, making them easy targets for marauding people who wanted to build empires and for internal people who wasn't your grandfather or your grandmother, you didn't know them, who wanted to take over the groups from within. We, we grew in an evolutionary fashion to live very freely and nomadically in families, 20, 30 people, rarely any evidence for any kind of village, maybe a tiny bit of evidence here or there. And then around 10,000, we start to really live in groups. And within 2,000 years, the cities have walls around them. Talk about enemies, it's stupid. And then within 5,000, 6,000 years from now, we start having empires. That means that one group dominated another and then another and another. And I think within human beings, there are those who are very violent and controlling and conspiring, whether they're conspiring with their brother or their son to take over a group or whatever, they conspire. And then they even kill their own family members. They've been conspiring for so many years. They kill their own family members and they get control of things. And this has been going on forever. It's in all the ancient history as well. And um, it's a characteristic that human beings are not prepared to fight back against um, these, these very large conglomerates we 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 could fight back against a mammoth or against you know another group of 20 people but once we got in these very large groups we became subject to authority i mean i think that's what it is and we are so subject to authority that if all you have to do is take over a country and you have and the government apparatus will work for you so we take over germany the government their apparatus worked for us we i guess we fired the judges and stuff but most countries not just really, uses, not no we really. didn't well, the very that, same people who committed those crimes as yeah. judges then became leading judges after the war you know i i know that too i was i should have been thinking even even more so so that happens all the time and i am sure what we're seeing right now is this extreme progressive movement which is aligned with the capitalist predators and the, globally the uh, progressive predators now is uh, taken over our country and we have judges ignoring the constitution left and right whenever a power takes over human beings in large numbers will just go along with the government and um you know you will call it mass uh, anything but whatever it is it isn't the people causing it <laughs> the people are straightforward victims because uh, you know, in the face of overwhelming authority, even not so overwhelming authority. Um, do you do you think that, um, well, Matthias Desmond says there's a difference between dictatorship and totalitarianism, and that's why he says dictatorships have been around for centuries and thousands of years probably, but this is a brand new phenomenon. It only started at the beginning yeah. 
And do, do you there is there a difference between a dictatorship and totalitarianism, or is it the same thing? Because he says, in order to distinguish, he says, well, dictators, once they've achieved their goal, they become benevolent. Is that so? God, that's really bizarre. I didn't know he said that. <clears throat> I mean, if you just look at the history of the British monarchies, when did they become benevolent? I mean, they were killing each other off and their families off and suppressing. And then you have the Magna Carta. I mean, it's just, these things don't make any sense. He's not a historian, but that's not the point. He is an agendaist. And he somehow thinks it's better for his agenda if it just started. But the, you know, it's entirely arbitrary how you want to define dictator, uh, dictator versus totalitarian. Uh, the, the term is relatively new, but not the phenomena. And the term was, has been used just to describe where, where the, uh, you know, the everyday life of the individual is controlled. It's just more extreme. Mm -hmm. But that happened way back in ancient China as well. Well, a lot um, of input for thought. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Fisher, for putting up me, me and my strength of feeling about this. It, it comes out of a lot of years of exposure to people who blame victims. I think that's a fundamental thing I've stood up for my, yeah. much of my life. That's why you started your presentation with the story about what you first saw, your first impact when you saw what was going on in in a mental institution well it is and i don't think i even got to say it you know it's not like i've done this presentation five times this is the first time i've done a long presentation like this about it yes they blamed the patients they actually said no this is the not because they're in a mental hospital they're in the mental hospital because they're crazy and they get crazier mm -hmm. mental illness is a deteriorating disease it's a pack of nonsense nor is it biochemical. That's a pack of nonsense. It's all drug, that's drug company PR. Um, just suffering human beings. And if you put them in miserable situations, especially if they're already confused and freaked out by life, they're going to get worse off. Well, here's the thing, Peter. Um, there is, of course, a difference between a lawyer's looking at things and the psychiatrist or a psychologist looking at things. As a lawyer, the most important task we have is to get to the core of things, to get to the real facts. That is much more important than applying a legal analysis. First, you have to get the facts right. Sure. And as far as I'm concerned, from all of the interviews we've been doing, it is a it is so absolutely clear to me that, of course, we do have people who are responsible. We don't know how many they are, probably not very many, but quite a few. Even it, and it's not, it is not just those who are pulling the strings. It's very many of them, of yeah. those who are doing their bidding because they're either bribed or uh, under pressure or uh, they're, they're hoping for a better career, whatever. So as far as I'm concerned, as a lawyer, there are people we need to go after. Now, it was very, I thought it was very, um, it, it was a very good, the big question is why do people do this? And that's when, when psychiatry and psychologists come in, because that was a very, um, 
Well, in, in my view, at first glance, and even upon closer in, inspection, the idea of mass formation or mass psychosis, psychosis made a lot of sense. However, mm. in my mind, in the back of my mind, there was always someone responsible for this. That's right. That's how people got hooked on him. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And if they and if, it's because when he said there were no conspiracy theories, um, people without maybe my background, my particular legal psychiatric background, were not necessarily going to say, oh, my God, it's victim blaming. I've just seen it so often. I mean, um, the drug companies would com- would say they made mistakes, and then you'd find out these mistakes were planned out in secret committee meetings with the FDA at seven in the morning, so nobody would know they were meeting together. <laughs> I mean, so I got a real education um, about these institutions and how they operate. I mean, yeah. Yeah. The, you know, yeah. Okay, well, Peter, are, is there something that um, you think that needs to be pointed out in addition to everything that you've said so far, in addition to our discussion? Um, no, I think I'm, I've covered everything. Let me think about it for a minute. Um, I mean, one of the interesting things to know would be, oh, well, he's already, I think, ex- maybe explained to you in the interview that, that all these ideas came to him as a revelation. I'd love to know the name of that revelation. Was it uh, <laughs> what dark side of the world did it come from? Well, yeah. I mean, because that's pretty crazy. I mean, this man's been writing his whole life. He's, you know, and uh, Desmond, and uh, there's nothing in his life about this, nor is there anything in um, Malone's life about this. Nothing. Zero. Uh, about psychology and sociology and stuff like that. I think that's very important. Where did this come from? And I don't know, but I know its effect. And what I'm position I'm taking now is that regardless of whether anybody who's uh, promoting these ideas, and I don't mean just the words, because people don't know what the ideas are, but like Desmond and, and Malone, if they're promoting them, the effect of them is a psyops operation against the freedom movement by by a discouraging people from thinking they're oppressed because that's considered a mass formation. Discouraging people from thinking there's a systematic, well ordered attack on them going on, and those are the kinds of words you got to use to get. Desmond to come clean about it. And then also in Desmond's book, by saying that people who make up conspiracy theories are doing it basically because they're mentally unbalanced. They're desperate and anxious. Some places, one that same pages, he calls them bewildered and confused. And he's uh, clearly talking about thoughtful people looking at this mass phenomenon and not talking about some crazy thing. You're, do- you're saying he's talking about us. Yeah, clearly. And and he responded to me, you know, clearly that I'm uh, I'm the enemy and I should know that I'll get hurt. You know, it's self-defeating to go after the elite. I don't think it is, actually. It's the only way out. 
that's right, it's taking away the only way out. Why don't I make sure, uh, uh, Reiner, that I send you the um, the Dutch, um, do you speak Dutch? I send you the- I, I understand a little, no, I don't speak it. Well, I can, I'll send you the translation and the uh, basis for where he published it on his, uh, because that's a, an interesting thing to cross-examine him about. Because he says it's in response to hearing a lot of people telling him that he should read my articles. This is a response to my articles. And it has no content. It doesn't at any point say, oh, he's wrong here, he's wrong here, he's wrong here. I just have a misunderstanding. And the misunderstanding is about uh, how, uh, and then he says it, you can't attack the elites. <laughs> it's very confusing. Very confusing to read him. Well, luckily, we're trained lawyers, and I have 28 years of courtroom experience. Yes, more than me, even. <laughs> and so I know, I know what questions I'm yeah. going to ask. I That's hope, great. I hope, That's... of course, that we're going to come to a point at which we agree on, because this is what I uh, make of all this, we come to agree on, yes, there's mass formation, but also someone is responsible for this. That's yeah. the only, that's the but only be thing careful about the someone, you know, I mean, he'll say, well, so-and-so contribute. The thing he doesn't want is that there's an organized, systematic, planned, what he calls conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. He's very clear about that in the book. It's all accidental or misguided or misdirected malone just wrote um that covid 19 was the worst policy disaster in america in the world in world very history interesting. very interesting because of to, course it's not a disaster that's just happening somebody is behind this well not only that it, my answer which i haven't written yet but which will be coming out is it wasn't a, it was a success for God's sakes from their viewpoint. They shut down the democracies. They culled the population. They've got us docile. This is one of the great policy successes of all time. And that really juxtapositions. And I said that to Ginger. And she looks at me with indignation and says, it's not even a, just a policy. It's a human disaster. <laughs> I said, you got it, honey. Well, they didn't quite reach their goals because you and I and many, many others like That's us right. are still around. Yes, but you get my point. You know, I do. I mean, it I is. Do. From them, it was such a policy success that they're trying to still use the World Health Organization because it did such a good job. Um, one last thing I wanted to tell you. Um, a very well-meaning woman from Slovenia invited me and a group of other attorneys and other activists um, to an interview with a major player of the WHO uh, from, I think she's from Slovenia. And we did this interview and the whole, and we were supposed, we are of course the ones who are the activists, the lawyers who are fighting all of this. And we mm -hmm. started this interview and she and her assistant, 35 years old, 38 years old, something like that, were sitting there fully masked. And I didn't expect anything else. And I was gonna, if I, 
I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm, I'm not trying to be rude or, but you know, from that point on, it was very clear to me that it doesn't make any sense to talk to them. And that was precisely the end result of this because they were just giving us boilerplate language, sugarcoating everything. Yes, we're so grateful that you're bringing this up. We're gonna think about it, forget it. And then this very well-meaning Slovenian activist said, oh, we should continue talking to her. And I said, no, not me. If you want to waste your time, go ahead. Yeah. Mm. Okay, well, Peter, thank okay. you very much. Thanks this so much. Very important. And thank you very much, both of you. And, um, you know, Dr. Fisher, thank you. I think we really managed to really relate well after the little bit of, of well, Bristol, which is part of this terrible this thing. Discussion, so I think yeah, it's okay. just this, this thing is so hard to face. It's a very difficult thing to face that what I'm talking about today has not come easily for us to reach Ginger and I to reach these decisions. I believe it. Thank you. And please say hi to Ginger and thank her for her efforts as well. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. We'll be in touch. Bye bye. Bye bye. So I'm excited to, to be here today with uh, Professor Matthias Desmet. We had him in the um, Corona Investive, Investigative Committee uh, several times. And we've been, um, I actually have been very much, um, you know, impressed by the, his um, theory, the idea that there could be like mass formation at work here, because we see so many people under the spell of uh, you know, all this uh, intense um, corona and now vaccination propaganda, um, making believe that there's a, uh, you know, like an incurable virus basically out there that you have to uh, fight with everything you have. And that seems to be working um, yeah, quite well. These, uh, these um, well, the, the mass uh, formation methods and now then I have to say I was a little bit surprised by all the criticism that Peter Bregin brought forward, but we listened to what he had to say and now it was be, would be very interesting to get um, the yeah the statement of uh, Matthias Desmet. Just one small remark um, in, in addition. Um, we wanted to show uh, Peter Bregin his uh, his statement. It's quite a long statement of like almost one and a half hour. We also talked a little bit about um, other aspects than just like the the, um, the theory of uh, Matthias Desmet. Um, and um, we wanted to show him the video again, uh, but then there was a talk uh, that we would maybe not, um, you know, show the full video or maybe like keep um, parts of it um, to us or, you know, like, Censor, and we of course do not want any censorship, and this is why we're showing the uh, Peter Bragin uh, video full in full uh, full length, and also what Matthias Desmond is going to say, we're also going to show in full length, so everyone can get their own ideas of what to think, what to make of what the two um, experts says. Said. Yeah. Matthias, I'm excited to see you. You know what, um, maybe you could you just elaborate a little bit on your theory and then make, or like, just as you wish, say something there or immediately hop on the um, remarks that Peter Bregan made. 
Yes, thank you for inviting me, Vivian. I propose we hop on immediately uh, on the criticism of uh, of uh, of Dr. Bregan. Mm -hmm. uh, I've I've um, explained my theory already many times here and on other uh, occasions. So you can just continue immediately with the criticism. I think to begin with, um, Peter Bregan first and for all claims that there cannot be a mass formation as people were not allowed to meet each other during the corona crisis this was social distancing people had they were people were locked down in their houses and so on that's one thing that i read that of course is a mistake uh if you read people like Jacques or like um, uh, Gustave Le Bon they were all stressed that uh the masses don't have to meet physically to to be a mass because simply because even if people are all isolated in their homes but they are all in the grip of the same narratives the same images the same mental representations and so on they will also form a mass so the phenomenon of mass formation will also emerge and it is even the case that these so-called lonely masses as Jacques Elou called them these so-called lonely masses um, are much easier to manipulate through indoctrination propaganda than the physical masses. The psychological state of lonely mass formation is the optimal state to, um, uh, to have control over the masses. So that's one thing. Um, second, uh, in a strange way, Dr. Bregan seems to say that um, I pretend that there is no one who is leading the masses, who is manipulating the masses, or at least that's the impression I have when I read uh, his review of my book, for instance. Uh, I, throughout my book, I stress it in, 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 at, at, at several places that, of course, there is manipulation and propaganda. I even literally say, that without indoctrination and propaganda, uh, it is impossible for a, a mass formation to continue for a long time, to continue to exist for a long time. The one of the misunderstandings of Dr. Bregan seems to be that um, that he believes that my theory says that there is no elite that. Uh, the masses hypnotize themselves. I never ever say that. There is an entire chapter in my book, chapter seven, I think, about the leaders of the masses. An entire chapter. What I do say is that the leaders of the masses are hypnotized themselves. And I differentiate. They are hypnotized by their ideology, not by the narratives they use. And the distinction between the ideology and the narratives is very important. In this case here of the corona crisis, the ideology is transhumanism, technocracy, and so on. So there are people who believe there is an elite a set of global institutions who believe that society should be reshaped according to a transhumanist and technocratic ideology. So that's the ideology. And the people who lead the masses, who manipulate the masses, who steer the masses, fanatically believe in their ideology. That's my two cent word opinion.
but they don't believe in the narratives they use to convince the population and the masses to accept all these changes they want to uh, realize in society in order to realize this transhumanist society. So they use the narratives, like the corona narrative, the climate narrative, the terrorist narrative, and so on. They use the narratives as a kind of propaganda and indoctrination to convince the population to accept the, ideo the ideological changes they want to make happen. So that's what I say. If I don't see, to be honest, how this can be, uh, how, how someone can re misinterpret my book on this point. There is an entire chapter about the leaders of the masses. I never say, I also, something that uh, Dr. Bregan also claims, which is completely wrong, that I think that the leaders of the masses are not responsible. That's completely wrong. I literally say it's not because you are hypnotized by your own ideology that you are not responsible. And I referred to Freud, I think. I can be mistaken. I mentioned it definitely in some podcasts, but I think it's in a book as well. I literally say, quote Freud, where he says, um, you are responsible for your unconscious. Even if you're hypnotized or you're unconscious, it doesn't matter. You are responsible as an ethical being. So I know that Dr. Brecken doesn't like Freud, but I think he should better read Freud uh, one of these days because uh, I'm not a psycho. That's also something, a wild accusement of Dr. Brecken that I would be part of a psychoanalytic uh, cult. And the way in which he describes this makes me think that he refers to the International Psychoanalytic Association. I'm not a member. Dr. Bregan, are you listening? I'm not a member of any psychoanalytic association, and I've never been. But I've read Freud, I've read Lacan, I've, I've read several other authors, and they have quite some interesting things to say. And one of them is exactly this, that it's not because you do something um, in a state of hypnosis or in a in a un or unconsciously driven that you're not responsible that's something that i make very clear so for me the leaders are responsible for what they are doing but and that's something important an important nuance they are not the only ones who are responsible hannah arendt says that um, totalitarianism is always a diabolic pact between the masses and their leaders and that's something extremely important to understand. The people who blindly follow the mainstream narrative and who refuse to see how absurd it is because they are in the grip of mass nation are also a little bit responsible. That's what I, and we also, everyone is a little bit responsible, the one much more than the other. But I, I, I like to quote, to refer to the quote of uh, Solzhenitsyn in my book, Solzhenitsyn, who also wondered about uh, what and who is responsible for for the cruel of totalitarian systems. And Solzhenitsyn says somewhere in his book, The Gulag Archipelago, it would be easy to believe that all responsibility can be situated in a small group who represents pure evil and that all the rest is innocent. But he says, but the dividing line between good and evil doesn't run between people. It runs through every human being's heart. And that's what I also believe. I think that we have to see 
what the global institutions do. And Dr. Bregan, in my opinion, did a good job there. I didn't read his book yet, but I heard that his entire career he has been he has been um, fighting against um, uh, several some absurd and cruel um, aspects of the pharmaceutical industry. I really admire him for that, and I am grateful that he did so. And I have done the same, actually, to a certain extent. I've read a lot. I, I've written a lot of papers showing how research was abused, how the research methods used were actually used um, just to promote all kinds of therapies, so-called therapies, who never should have been promoted. So it's not that I consider Dr. Bregan to be an enemy. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But I think in certain respects, um, he has misinterpreted my book. And he also have the feeling that he sometimes knowingly um, misinterprets me and tries to put me in a bad daylight. And that's uh, that's a pity, I think, because as a resistance movement, we should try to work together. And if we disagree, we should try to talk to each other in a respectful way. It's that exactly what will make the resistance movement strong. And we should even try to talk as much as possible to the people who are going along with the mainstream narrative. I, as a psychiatrist, I hope Dr. Bregan realizes or is aware of the immense power of speech as a human being, we should try to speak with each other and we should stick to the principles of nonviolent resistance instead of analyzing the situation in such a way that the only conclusion can be uh, to try to destroy the elite in an insurrection or a violent revolution. I know for sure that if we try to do that, and that's the problem, I think, with an analysis, I can agree with the fact that there is a cruel elite. I'm aware of that. I'm aware of what the elite does now and has done in the past. Um, so, but if we believe that the all evil is situated in the elite, then the logical conclusion will be that the elite has to be destroyed and that will, first and for all, first and foremost, it will be self-destructive because a violent revolution against the elite will be used to create support uh, to destroy the uh, resistance movement. Um, and secondly, and even more important, even if it, if we, we should, we would succeed in destroying the elite, the problem wouldn't be solved. As long as people continue to think, and that's what I write in my book, that's what my entire book is, is all about. As long as people uh, continue to be in the grip of, um, of, um, uh, this kind of rationalist, materialist, fuel man in the world, they will recreate the same elite and they will remain vulnerable for mass formation. That's exactly what I explain in my book. It's this kind of rationalist, mechanist fuel man in the world uh, that uh, created the conditions uh, that made people vulnerable for mass formation and which also created an elite that believed that it was it that it was its holy duty to manipulate control uh, and control the population through indoctrination propaganda these two things we should we should start from an analysis that is complex enough that is nuanced enough because otherwise 
if our analysis is so one-sided, is so narrow, that we believe that the problem is entirely situated and only situated at the level of the elite, we will make the wrong strategical choices and we will make the wrong ethical choices. And our analysis will be a flame that only burns to our own destruction. That's what we should avoid. We should acknowledge the complexity of the situation. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but when you say, you said, um, you know, the mass formation continues with, um, you know, the, there's, it's, it's also sort of kept on fire with, um, with what the leaders do. So the leaders, that's the same as the elite, you would say. And is, yes. is there someone like, um, you know, whatever, like a super elite somewhere who, who doesn't even believe in the, I mean, that's like pure speculation, but that's even someone behind who's not in um, indoctrinated by the ideology, you know, like, I mean, who, who even sees through the uh, ideology and uh, then, I don't know, pulls the strings. I mean, that's going in like a very speculative direction. But um, as you said, yeah. everyone who's like, like pulling the strings right now is also part of that ideology ideology. I mean, that's a speculation also from your end, I guess, because we don't know really, but you know, both. If you if you read uh, the work of uh, the founding fathers of modern propaganda, mm -hmm. uh, such as uh, uh, Trotter, Lippmann, uh, and Bernays, mm -hmm. which was a nephew of Freud, but which uh, was not supported by Freud. Freud uh, uh, didn't agree with his um, with, the, with the major part of his work. But um, if you read these books, then you will literally read. For instance, uh, Bernays wrote that in his book Propaganda. You will mm -hmm. literally read that uh, that um, uh, Bernays said that as the political leaders are not true leaders anymore because the political leaders have to be elected and they have to follow the masses as uh, the political leaders are not true leaders anymore who can really control the masses we need a new government uh, um, uh, Bernays said a government that is pulling the strings uh, from behind the screens, from the darkness. That's what he literally said. So, of course, there is, of, of course, there are people behind the screens. But I think we have to be careful. Uh, indeed, it's speculation to a large, a large extent. I think it's we have to be careful about diagnosing them. For instance, we it's hard to know. I I believe I wouldn't be surprised as even if even these people were really. Um, uh, fanatically and blindly believing in their transhumanist ideology i wouldn't be surprised because i know that most of these people almost all of them are really materialist thinkers they really believe that the entire universe is like a material phenomenon a set of elementary particles molecules and atoms that all interact with each other according to the laws of mechanics and that can be perfectly described in a rationalist way i think these people that the real people who really are pulling the strings that they also believe in this ideology and once you believe in this ideology the step towards uh, transhumanism is a logical step it's a logical step and um um i can be wrong but I, I i have never speculated a lot about the nature of these people i've always talked about the public leaders the public leaders of uh, the masses like uh and those people really are in the grip of their ideology. That's what I really think. That's uh, that's what I, I'm quite sure about. Um, uh, and again, what doesn't mean 
that they are believing what they are saying in the public space they are not usually they know that it's bullshit and that's it's just they just use it uh to to convince the people to go along with their ideal ideological changes in society so um yes that's our few remarks everyone who <laughs> who who wants to who, who who wants to can read my book and you will say that i i describe literally there what i'm saying here um so the the yeah uh the claim and also dr bregan also says that i'm blaming the victims but i don't blame the victims i don't blame the victims i just try to make people aware of the fact that they are also a little bit responsible and that they can do something about it stop supporting this system stop going along with the system that's the small window of agency we all have but it's an extremely important agency we can do something in the first place let's um emancipate as much as possible from the system let's think uh, in what way both at the material level and at the mental level we still uh are in the grip of this kind of I materialist ideology that's something that is very important and let's think about what we can do we can do more than we do now we can speak out more we can show more that we do not agree we can uh, connect more to other people who also don't agree and so on we are not um we we have a certain responsibility every one of us has a certain responsibility and that's something completely different than blaming a victim <laughs> it's exactly the opposite it's 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 making I'm people empowering empowering them it's making people aware that they have power read uh Havel's wonderful book uh Václav Havel's wonderful book the power of the powerless that's what we have to become aware of we have power that's very interesting what you say here because I mean when you when you say like some someone is responsible you you know that might also I mean I had maybe also understood that uh, you know then okay like mea culpa I did it and now I can uh, maybe not change it like Wolfgang sometimes says Wolfgang Buddha that you know we're all a little bit responsible we didn't take care of our democracy you know we didn't see that it was being had had been you know been destroyed basically from inside for a long time with like a lot of um you know infiltrations from from lobby interests and all that and um but at the same time I mean yes we are responsible for for that maybe a little bit I always said when he said that oh no I don't feel responsible because I I was also like deceived I, I thought we had like a full-blown and democracy or like maybe just a new bit of issues but not that it was in such a state that it could be overtaken very quickly whatever like or like by health um, concerns um but I think it's good to see yes I mean if I'm responsible maybe a little bit for let it come that far then I also have an option if my my um you know me being um a, a tool or like a little bit of a, a small wheel in that whole system then I can also just be the wheel that kind of blocks the system from functioning, even if not just a little bit of a wheel, like sand corn, like uh, size wise. But uh, yeah, I think that's very interesting. Um, so um, yeah, but uh, I think, I don't know if it was Catherine Austin Fritz or someone else um, who said at a point that um, there's also like maybe individual aspects, uh, you know, that make people 
uh, play along that it's maybe not all of them is like 100% believing in the ideology or the narrative but maybe they have you know financial aspects in mind or they have that maybe being bribed or like they have uh, looking for career things or like it's it's through other other um, you know toxic elements that that make them go in a certain direction so individual kind of things would you see that also how does that um, you know play into your theory of course of course it does of course for for instance um when Fauci promoted remdesivir uh as a, as a as a as a as a treatment for um for um covid-19 and 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 when uh uh other uh, treatments were forbidden uh of course that was a financial interest that plays financial interest play a role power uh the the lust for power plays a role definitely but in the end in the end and that's important i think in the end i think that totalitarianism in the end is always uh, driven by ideological fanatism so the the ultimately uh the public leaders of the totalitarian state will almost always be blind fanatic ideological uh ideologically driven people uh all the rest uh all the other the the, the people who use the totalitarian system to earn money um in the end won't become the real leaders i think i think it's the blind ideological uh, motivation uh such as described by harari for instance in his book um homo deus where he describes this uh uh transhumanist uh, uh, ideology that's I, I think that's uh, the real if you really want to understand uh, totalitarianism i think you have to start from the ideological uh, motivations that's what i think and of course as again money plays an, an, an extremely important role in many respects and the example i gave if you can all read the wonderful book of uh, peter mccullough and his co-author uh the courage to face uh, COVID 19 uh where he explains all well, part of the of the the um, financial dynamics uh that played in the selection of treatments um so definitely plays a role of course we all know that uh, the way in which the vaccine was promoted and so on of course financial motives uh, play a role um okay yeah um maybe would you like to uh, comment a bit on um you've been faced with uh, a lot of like critical articles at the moment in belgium i mean we that's maybe not part of um yeah do you want to maybe make a comment on that yes yes you know it's like both in the United States and in Belgium in Belgium in the mainstream media uh there is for five days uh, straight now uh all newspapers have published uh articles about me very very uh, uh offensive articles in which I was uh, uh yeah in which they said that uh, that I'm a liar and that they they focused on one small mistake I indeed made in an interview uh, where I confirmed that I had seen an uh, open heart operation under hypnosis, but I immediately after the interview explained why I said so, under what conditions I said so, and then the media started to use it. Um, uh, to, 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 oh, yeah, they just end other things uh, just to, uh, to, uh, to try to, um, yeah, put me in a, in a bad daylight, I guess. Of course, that's what they wanted. 
Um, all kinds of things have become clear uh, throughout the last days that uh, a part of this, uh, all this was orchestrated by certain people. Um, uh, also, like, and that's something that uh, Peter Briggen now uh, recirculates in the States. Um, uh, he claims that I have been protecting a mass murder, a mass murder in my clinical practice. Uh, he um, refers to certain articles in newspapers uh, of about, I think, six or seven years ago, uh, where I had to testify in a lawsuit uh, against a, a nurse who um, had um, um, uh, killed several terminally ill patients. Uh, that was before there was an official legislation about euthanasia. And um, uh, this guy came to my clinical practice, uh, I think 10 years after uh, he did what he did, uh, started to talk with me about his nightmares and so on, about what he did. Um, and I reacted, I believe, and both, uh, I, my reaction was technically correct. I didn't breach my professional secrecy and I was not allowed to breach it simply because if someone reports things of the past, you're never allowed to breach your professional secrecy only when something announces that he will do something in the future. So I hadn't, I, uh, I, uh, I had to testify uh, at, the, at the lawsuit. I refused to uh, give my uh, notes because I was not allowed to, and also at the ethical level, if someone uh, visits me uh, as a psychologist and I promises that person, as I always do, that they have professional secrecy, that what he says will remain behind uh, in, 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 my, in my consultation room, then I do what I say. And I would want to ask Dr. Bregan if that is not what he does. Is, is it so that Dr. Bregan promises his patients that what he says uh, will uh will uh will will be kept secret in that once they left his office that he goes to the police is that what he does is that really what he does as a psychiatrist i really wonder because if that's what he does he better should reconsider the job he does as a psychologist you have the it's an ethical duty to stay true to your uh, professional secrecy and that's what i did and i didn't uh, uh, I did that also before the judge. I sat there for seven hours straight on a chair, refusing to give uh, my notes. And that's what I would do again. That's what I would do again. There is only one exception, and it is if someone makes really clear that he will commit a crime in the nearby future. And if he describes this in a very concrete way, that's, uh, that's when you can make an exception. But not if someone reports something he did in the past. And even what this nurse did in the past. I consulted many doctors when I had the, when, when this treatment was going on. And these doctors all told me before there was an official legislation about euthanasia. That happened all the time. It happened all the time. That's what how nurses and doctors acted before this legislation. Often, at least. Uh, that's what the uh, people told me. And 
Um, uh, so I, I this this case was all over the newspapers here in Belgium, but most people supported me. They and and, and most psychologists supported me, all saying like you you did the right thing. It was not easy, not at all, to do the right thing. But um, uh, that's uh, that's what uh, the profession of a psychologist means. Um, that also in difficult situations, you can stick to um, uh, your professional secrecy. I would do that for everybody who who, visit, who visits me or, or or who consults me. Uh, and that's why many people. That's why my clinical practice, I think, is quite successful <laughs> because people feel if they come to talk with me that they can really trust me. And that's what I uh, in my life try to do. I try to stay as true as possible to ethical principles. And I don't I don't say that I'm much better than other other people in that respect, but I do my best. Well, I mean, the, the same um, applies to like lawyers, obviously. I mean, if you have like to say a, a client who committed a crime, then you can also not immediately uh, whatever go public with that. And clearly because there's you're bound to to secrecy or like to to be silent about these things. And I don't even know, like, I mean, that must be a very extreme situation, but I can't even. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Uh, if you hear also could be the same thing if you hear like someone wants to blow up a building. And you have like concrete evidence for that. I don't know if you could stay silent as a lawyer, <clears throat> but um, but other than that, if it's really something in the past, I mean, also we would need to be silent. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, that's um, that's very interesting, and I think it's. Do you want to make some closing remarks, or is there anything you forgot to mention, like with regards to the interview to with Dr. Bregan or? Yes, you know. I think Dr. Bregan should really think about why he does now what he does. I mean, why does he want to put me in a bad daylight by referring to this uh, situation with the nurse eight years ago? I and and why does he distort these things when he, when he talks about them? Why does he? You know, most people who read my book and who then read the comments of Dr. Bregan literally say, like, you know, it's as if he didn't read your book. He misinter misinterprets you in so many respects. Um, and why does he invest so much energy in, 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 in doing all this? Why does he even translate uh, or use translations of, of podcasts I gave in, 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 in Dutch? It's, it's, a, it's as if in a certain strange way, he seems a little bit obsessed with, 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 with what I do. And again, I don't disrespect him i think that his work is important i think he 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 focuses on one aspect that is an important aspect don't have a problem with that but i hope he can see that i take a little bit more that i zoom out i take a few steps backwards and i consider uh the the, the broader picture the the cultural historical process um of which what is happening now uh, is part and that is also that also makes us see something it makes us see something that you cannot see if you focus very much on one aspect of reality so i don't have a problem with the work of peter brigand uh, uh, and i i respect him in many, in, in in many ways uh, i think he he uh, he did something important um, but i believe that he should think about why he um, uh, continues to 
to to to try to put me in the bad daylight uh, and that he spreads all this before talking with me it's so easy human beings um or human beings are really hum humane if they give someone else the chance the opportunity to give his opinion uh uh to 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 listen to to someone else and that's what i think uh, um dr britain did Bregan didn't do um he just started to talk about me without ever contacting me without ever uh giving me the chance to say something about his criticism uh, i think i really believe that if the resistance movement uh, wants to be successful we will have to try to talk with each other we will have to even if our opinions uh, are very different um so that's about what i had to say not uh, very much more yeah, it's a pity that this conversation, I mean, that we had to do it in two blocks and that we could not, uh, you know, just be like supporting a conversation between the two of you, like, uh, you know, directly, because I think that, of course, would have been, um, yeah, as you said, maybe the, the, the best way to resolve uh, like whatever misunderstanding or, or different views on things um, might have um, popped up here. Um, but I'm glad that we at least had this kind of juxtaposing opportunity. And um, so I think that people can then, you know, it's it's room gives room for thought and for further debate. And uh, yeah, let's see what maybe what maybe what kind of answer then maybe yes. comes from Dr. Bregan. Yes, but I will try not to invest much more energy in it now because I know I have a lot to do. And yes, I want to I want to continue in a positive and constructive way with my work. Uh, I'm I'm uh, reading a lot about uh, nonviolent resistance now because I think that will be crucial. Uh, we will have to organize ourselves and we have to stick to the principles of nonviolent resistance in the years to come, uh, because uh, uh, the inner resistance against totalitarianism should always be nonviolent in nature. All violence will be used against us. So that's one of the things that I want to do, and I won't lose much more energy with uh, all the people throwing mud at me, because just if I react to all of them, uh, I will lose all my time and my energy in this uh, in this, uh, in this uh, uh, battle, which probably won't uh, be very fruitful. Um, yeah, I mean, that's true. There's a lot of side, uh, you know, distraction from the sides, and we just should yeah. not um, go, go down that road, because otherwise we're really just busy, like, uh, you know, coming up with state counter statements or like with whatever and then you we're just not going anywhere Indeed. i think it's really we need to focus on the work and yeah. um like whoever is like screaming from the side should should do that by by themselves i'm not referring to anyone personally here but like in, in the sense of that it's um there's uh yeah there's always fights and stuff and we should but we should really just not um, give it too much room in exactly general. Exactly. Okay, thanks. Thank you so much, Matthias. Um, very interesting. And um, yeah, so let's see where it, where it all goes in the future. But I also believe the non-violent non way is the way to go. Oh. Thank you very much, Fabian. Thank you very much for inviting me and giving me the chance to uh, to uh, to talk about this. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot, Matthias. Bye.
Sie darf sie erheben. 